If I asked you this morning if you remembered Peter, you'd say yes, wouldn't you? You remember Peter, don't you? He was the Lord's apostle that had the foot-shaped mouth. He was the big, impulsive fisherman. The one that denied Jesus. And yet after he denied Jesus, he repented and he came back to be the great preacher of Pentecost. Well, after a lifetime of service, Peter is actually writing his first letter. And in that letter, Peter is telling his readers about their redemption. And he's telling his readers what the cost of their redemption was. And our full text begins in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Did you notice what Peter said in verse 19? He spoke of the blood of Jesus. And he spoke of the blood of Jesus as precious. Now when you think about it, that sounds a bit strange coming from Peter. And yet Peter uses the word quite often. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, he talks about the trial of our faith being more precious than gold. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, he writes of Jesus being chosen of God and precious. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, he says of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that He is precious. And he uses the word again in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. When he begins his second letter, he begins it writing about our precious faith. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, Peter writes of precious promises. Now, I want you to think about that just a moment. Because in his earlier days, in his earlier career, before Jesus called him into his service, Peter had been a fisherman. And precious is just about the last word you would expect to hear from a fisherman. I want you to imagine that Michael Bryan and Dale Fincher have been out all morning fishing. And Mike and Dale come in and they've got two ice chests overflowing with fish. And someone, Leon says, well, fellas, how was the fishing? And Mike and, Leon, and, Mike and Dale say, Leon, we caught some of the most precious fish you ever saw in your life. I somehow don't see that happening. Because somehow that just doesn't fit. 
I know Norma's dad goes fishing a lot, and I know he's had some good days fishing, and I've never heard him talk about how precious the fish were that he caught that day. It's the last words you would probably expect to hear a fisherman use. Now think about Peter. He was, in all probability, an uncultured man. A man with very little formal schooling, as we would say. And remember that before Jesus called him into his service, before he followed Jesus, Peter had a habit of profanity. Because it came through in that unguarded moment when he denied Jesus. And it says that he cursed that third time he denied the Lord. It says he cursed and he swore as he denied Jesus. Now I've said all of that to make this point. When Jesus takes over a man's life or a woman's life, Jesus is going to change their lives. Now that's important. When Jesus takes over someone's life, Jesus is going to change that life. The power of old habits is broken. The influence of evil associations is overcome. And so when Peter writes of the precious blood of Jesus, beloved, that is the word of a man who feels the power of Jesus Christ in his soul. That's the word of a man who has felt the power of Jesus. Now, in our day and time, I think that often there's too little said about the blood of Jesus. In our day and time, I think people sometimes have become too, too squeamish and, oh, it's just barbaric to talk about the blood of Jesus. And it often seems a lot of people, a lot of preachers, want to avoid the subject of the blood of Jesus as much as possible. But if you read the New Testament, the only way to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus. When you turn to the Old Testament, <coughs> you find the way back to God in the Old Testament was what? It was the way of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and of goats. But those were not sufficient. When sin was too great, when human nature was too weak, then Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He lived. He loved. He suffered. He died. And His heart was broken. And from the pierced side of Jesus and the nail-scarred hands and the spike through His feet and the broken heart of Jesus, His blood poured forth on Calvary. And it was because of that blood that was poured out on Calvary 
because of that sacrifice that Peter writes about the precious blood of Jesus. And here, let me just make one point as an aside. Oftentimes I hear people talk about the blood of Christ that was spilled on Calvary. Or the spilled blood of Jesus. Personally, I don't like to hear anyone talk about the blood of Jesus being spilled. Because when I think of something being spilled, I think of when I was a little boy. And my mother said she always poured two glasses of milk for me. The first glass for me to knock over and spill. And the second glass for me to drink. When something is spilled, it's accidental. It happens. Jesus' blood was not accidentally shed on Calvary's hill. When you pour something out, that's deliberate. You do it on purpose. The blood of Jesus wasn't spilled on Calvary. The blood of Jesus was poured out on Calvary. It was His precious blood and it was poured out for me and it was poured out for you. And it was because of that precious blood that was poured on Calvary. Because of that sacrifice, Peter writes in our text about the precious blood of Christ. There are a lot of figures in the Old Testament that are used to make it plain. You remember back in the early morning of time, back in the Old Testament, when judgment was hanging over the homes in Israel, the firstborn was about to be slain in Egypt. It was then God specified that the lamb, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish was to be sacrificed. And the blood of that lamb was to be collected in a basin. And a bunch of hyssop would be dipped in that blood. And the blood was then sprinkled on the doorposts. And the word came to the people of Israel, When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Remember, that lamb was to be without blemish. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and Jesus met that condition. He met the condition of the Lamb without blemish to be slain and Jesus died on Calvary's hill so that I could live and so that you could live. You see, we're saved by that blood. And if we lose out of our thinking the death of Christ. And if we lose out of our consciousness the shedding of the blood of Christ with all that that means, then we've got a wrong conception and we'll have a wrong conception of God and God's righteousness and God's judgment. This book tells us God is just. And God is the justifier of those that believe. God has the ability to hate, despise, and detest sin with every fiber of His being. And at the same time, He has the ability to love the sinner. God's own Son, Jesus, bore in His body on the cross my sins.
your sins. And that ought to cause us all to shout for joy every day of our lives. Because, you see, that blood was shed on Calvary. Jesus bore in His body my sin and your sin on Calvary. And because of that, I am lifted from despair into hope. I've brought from darkness into light. I'm lifted from bondage into freedom. Jesus Christ died. And dying. Jesus paid completely for my sins. His death was penal. It was punitive. He came to this world. God sent Him here. And Jesus suffered in my place. He bore my shame on the cross. Jesus was made a curse for me. And no one held a gun to His head and forced Him to do it. He did it voluntarily. He was speaking of His own death in John 10 and verse 18. And He said of His life, He said, No man taketh it from Me. What about it, Lord? I lay it down of Myself. No one forced Jesus to die for us. He did it willingly because He wanted to. I wish. I wish there was some way I could force people, make people, some way that I could help all of us see just what our salvation really cost. Jesus turned away from the joy of heaven and turned to the shame of earth for me. For you. He turned away from the presence of God the Father. And He came to this world where men spit on Him. Where men heaped shame on Him. Where they put a cross on His tired and weary, beaten and bloody shoulders. And they put Him on that cross. And they drove nails through His hands. They drove a spike through His feet. They lifted Him upon that cross between heaven and earth. It was as if Jesus was unfit for earth. And they could hold Him back from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. To meet all of this. And He did it willingly. He was ready to suffer. He was ready to die. For me. Internalize that. Say to yourself right here, right now, Jesus did all that for me. You see, His death was a substitutionary death. He took my place. He offered Himself upon that cross 
for me and for you. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. There are things in this world that we can't think of without getting sick to our stomach. There are certain things in this world that just to talk about them causes us pain. Just to talk about it causes us suffering. Just to talk about it makes us nauseous. That's the way it should be when we think of sin in connection with Jesus. What did you say, Paul? Paul said he was made sin for us. Jesus did no sin. He knew no sin. But he was made sin for us. He was made sin for me. Because of my sin, for my sin, Jesus hurries to the cross and He dies. And that's why this rough-hewn fisherman by the name of Peter knew what he was talking about when he wrote about the precious blood of Christ. Because in that blood is life. That's an important point. That life is in the blood. It's an important point brought forth in the Old Testament. Scripture tells us in Leviticus 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So what does that mean? It means that when Jesus came into this world and when He lived and He loved and He suffered, when His heart broke on Calvary's cross, when the blood poured forth from His side, He was laying down His life for me and for you. We must not resist Jesus. And we must not reject His precious blood. And all of that forces us to some conclusions. And one of those is that no sinner can be saved in his or her sins. For someone to be saved, they've got to be washed and cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus. And we can't come to the blood of Jesus unless we come to the laws, the institutions, the ordinances, and appointments that were all sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We come into contact with that cleansing, purifying blood in the waters of baptism. When we come to Jesus in simple, childlike faith, repenting of everything that's sin in our life, and we confess His name, and Buried in baptism, we meet the blood of Jesus. 
When we do that, we cast our burdens upon the Lord. We free ourselves from anxious care. And we place our trust in Him. We begin to walk in the light. As John would write in 1 John 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And what, John? And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. No man or woman on the top side of God's green earth is ever too sinful or ever too far away from the blood of Jesus. I remember the words, beautiful words of that song. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty sins. Quite honestly, there's really nothing else for me to say. If you've never come in contact with that precious blood, I beg you to do it before you leave this building. If you came in contact with it, but you haven't walked in the light and haven't lived God's kind of life and need to come back and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. That precious blood of Jesus calls you this morning. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.